The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information about Jason can be found at deroshi-meyer.org. Just three verses today, and I have packed out these two pages. We are shifting to the highlight of this book for my soul. We, in the section that we introduced today in Zephaniah, we move into the most explicit section focused on the satisfying salvation that's to motivate the remnant to persevere through darkness. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8. Zephaniah 3, verse 8. We're in the midst of the essence of the Savior's summons to satisfaction, these charges to patiently pursue the Lord together. Stage one was seek the Lord. Seek the Lord together in order to avoid punishment. So the call was seek the Lord and then because punishment is coming, it's coming all around you, indeed it's coming right upon you. And now we move to stage two, therefore, in verse eight of chapter three, therefore, wait for me. Because the judgment is coming, wait. This is a a weight of hope, a weight of perseverance, a weight of patience. Wait for me for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, at that time when I I pour out my wrath, at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, will bring my offering. On that day. Day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst all your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. 
At that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before their eyes, says the Lord. Wait for the Lord in order to enjoy saving, in order to enjoy satisfying salvation. We get the charge to wait for the Lord. Then we get two reasons why they need to wait for the Lord. You can see the first one in verse 8 with that word for. For my decision is to gather. And then the second reason comes in verses 9 and 10. For at that time. So a dual reason why they should wait upon the Lord. And then the ultimate motivation is detailed. The remnants saving salvation. So here's where we're focusing today. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Now let me give you a glimpse here as we begin. Of what I, how, how I'm seeing this whole book hold together. We started in verse 1-1 with the title, the superscription of the Savior summons to satisfaction. Then in verses 2 through 18 in chapter 1, we covered the setting. What is the backdrop to the summons? The backdrop is the day of the Lord is at hand. It's a sacrifice being driven by God's just jealousy for his people's affection. The day of the Lord is, is darker than any day that we have seen. Like Pastor Ken said this morning, it's, it's nuclear bombs are like simply uh, water balloons compared to this. This is global catastrophe. In light of that setting, there is a dual command. This is the high point, and it's... it's a fresh beginning in the book. And it's, it's the very first group of commands in the book. Gather together. Seek the Lord. And then a reason is given in verse 4. This is the summons, stage 1. Gather together. Seek the Lord because I'm going to destroy the Philistines. And then, in 2 verse 5, it's like he just pauses and steps back with a deep heart of grief. You need to seek the Lord because I'm going to destroy the Philistines. And before he can even complete that thought in that same trajectory, he just pauses and expounds on the judgment that's coming. Whoa! Whoa! A deep-seated lament over the state and fate of all of the peoples that surround Israel. An entire compass of judgment is built around Judah. The Philistines to the west. Ammon and Moab to the east. Cush. The Cushite Ethiopian Empire to the south and to the north, Assyria. Woe! And then woe shows up again in chapter 3, verse 1. Now we move from the compass of judgment around Israel to the compass centers in, right on them. And in verses 1 through 7, the grief is, is, is expounded upon specifically of the state and fate of all the wicked who are right there in Jerusalem. This is the reason why they need to seek and gather. It's because judgment's coming. And the four, in verse four of chapter two, sets us up for it. And then the woe statements in 2.5 and 3.1 expound on the depth of the, of the judgment that's coming. 
Now we come to chapter 3, verse 8, and there's a therefore. Therefore implies a because. Because something else is true, therefore, this is how I want you to respond. And what that means is that all of this section here from 2-4 all the way up to 3-7 that provided the basis why they needed to seek the Lord, why they needed to gather and seek Him together, that provides them the same reason why they need to wait for the Lord. So there's, um, th- this middle section is providing a, a ground, a, a basis, a reason, and it's, it's giving the basis for the both sets of commands in this book. Now, if we were just reading verse 7, we might be prone to think that verse 8 is a word of judgment. Let me just read it. I said, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction, then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you, but all the more they are eager to make their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me. All of a sudden, that type of a reading would suggest this wait for me is not the waiting of hope, it's the waiting of dread. Israel's been bad, therefore you just wait till I get home, kid. That kind of a wait. And any parent in here has expressed that kind of a wait to our kids. You just wait. That's not this wait, though. And the reason that I would say that is... For many, many, many of them. But you can't see it in English because our pronoun, you, in English, doesn't clarify whether we're looking at a singular you or a plural you, and it doesn't clarify whether we're looking at a feminine you or a masculine you. But notice who verses 1 through 7 is written to. Woe to her! Who is rebellious and defiled? The oppressing city. The city of Jerusalem is portrayed as a woman in verses 1 through 7. And when we get get up to verse 6, I've cut off nations, their battlements are in ruins. I've laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. All of your enemies have become desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. The you there is, is Jerusalem. It's the city. It's a feminine Singular, you. I said, surely you, as the city as a whole, would fear me. You would accept correction. But they didn't. Now, in verse 8, when it says, you, wait for me, it's not feminine singular. It's masculine plural. And the last time we saw a masculine plural was right here. So when I read, therefore, wait for me, I think we're going back to the main set of commands that shape the book. We've got two big pillars that are holding this book up. Seek the Lord together and wait for the Lord. (coughs) The other element that tells me this is a positive wait and not a, a, uh, you just wait till I get home, kid, kind of wait. It's not a wait of dread, but a positive wait is that In every other instance of this particular word in the Old Testament, it's always either positive or just neutral. It's never negative. It's never anticipating a future dread. So let's look at a couple of these examples. 
Somebody look up for me Psalm 33, verse 20. Who will take that? Psalm 33, 20. Bethany, thank you. And Isaiah 64, 4. Very familiar one. Psalm 64, 4. Who will take that up? Thanks, Mark. Correct. Mark, you've got Isaiah 64, 4. Bethany's got Psalm 33, 20. Just hear how the word wait is used. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. There's something inside that's longing for the provision and the protection of our God. That's this kind of a wait. Wait for the Lord. Not in the sense of judgment's coming, but, but wait Wait because he's still for you and he's still got a purpose in mind. How about Isaiah 64 4? For behold, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. I want God to come. I want him to, to be a helper to me. The condition in this text is throughout all time, no eye has seen or ear heard a God like our God who works on behalf of whom? Those who wait. Waiting is not easy. Especially when what you're waiting for is so exciting. Last night I tucked Joy, my six-year-old, into bed. And in the process, so she's on the bottom bunk, and then her 16-year-old sister's in the top bunk, and right off of that is a loft where her 14-year-old sister is. And I was having a dialogue with Ruthie, the 14-year-old, about this week. And Thanksgiving came, down, came out of my mouth, and Joy erupted out of the covers. Thanksgiving? Is it tomorrow? And it was like, no. You know, go back, go back. She was so excited. It was, it was here. And I'm like, wait. Just wait. So it's hard to wait when it's so exciting what's coming. But then it's also equally hard to wait on the Lord when the journey between now and when the good thing comes is extremely difficult. When it looks like cancer. When it looks like dad's out of work. When it looks like marital trouble. Wait. Just wait. Because judgment is certain. Because the day is coming when all the evil will be put down. When your brokenness will indeed be overcome. Where your sickness will indeed be healed. Because it's coming, keep waiting and don't give up. Don't turn on God today. Keep holding on. That's Zephaniah's call. Seek the Lord together and wait. Wait. Don't give up. Wait. I know it's difficult, but wait on the Lord. Now, he says here in verse 8, Wait for me, declares the Lord, for a certain day. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day that he promised back in verse 7 of chapter 1 that would be a sacrifice. That day. It's only going to take a day. Jesus came 
inaugurates his ministry, he, he quotes Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, to declare an entire year of the Lord's favor and to proclaim a day of vengeance of our God. The thing is, Jesus never got to that part, right? When he quotes Isaiah 61, he stops at, I'm here. Today, this, this scroll is fulfilled, what Isaiah was talking about, and he stopped, he, he rolled up the scroll right after he said, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this is being fulfilled in your hearing. And he rolled it up, I think, because it wasn't the day to fulfill the day of the vengeance of God. That was still to come. That was something that was still anticipated. The day is coming. And right now we're in a year of favor. Where the gospel, good news, is being proclaimed through sharing and through suffering. As we, as Pastor Ken said this morning, we... What was his P word? Promote. Project. Project. That was my word, yeah. Project and protect the truth. And we project it through our lives, and it often comes through declaring God's worth even in the midst of deep suffering. Like Job had to. Job fears you only because he's got everything going well for him. But take away his family. Take away his stuff. And he'll turn from you. And the message of the book is, we fear our God, not because of what he gives or takes away, but because of who he is. And in doing so, we project the truth. Not simply to a watching world. We project the truth. That God is worth waiting for. Wait for the Lord. That's what it says in verse 8. Wait for me. We wait for the Lord because he's worth waiting for. Simply because of who he is. Not because of what he gives. Not because of what he takes away. His worth pushes us. The, the hope that's set before us, the joy that's set before us, pushes us to keep trusting. Now, in this verse, the way the ESV rendered it was, that day is the day when I rise up to seize the prey. And that's possible. But when I look at comparable contexts, and I see how the Greek translators handled it, and I, 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 it makes me think that it actually says something a little bit different. And you can see what it actually says in the NIV. The NIV followed this reading. Not the day I rise up to seize the prey, but the day that I will stand up to testify. Or, in the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the day of my rising as witness. A covenant witness. If you remember at the beginning of this study, nine weeks ago, we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Turn with me back there. And I mentioned that, so the ESV translators, they saw a house cleaning 
that God was planning as if everything was going to be swept away. But the word in Zephaniah 1-2 is the same word that we have show up in 3 verse 8 for gather. God's going to gather everything. He's going to get, I will utterly or completely gather everything from the face of the earth. I will gather man and beast. I'll gather the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. And then I'll cut off mankind. He's going to bring everything together, and not everything that is brought together will be destroyed. We saw that already in chapter 2, verse 3, with that potential. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Or 2, verse 7, there's a remnant from Judah. 2, verse 9, there's a remnant that will actually possess the nations. And I propose that possession is not simply possessing their land. It's actually possessing some from who were a part of those nations. They're going to be brought into the one people of God and preserved on that day of judgment. So notice chapter 3, verse 8, the words that are used. My decision is to gather nations. That's a word for all people groups are going to be gathered together. Then we read... To assemble kingdoms. All political entities. How do I word it? Um, I'm moving on here, but I'm going to draw it all together. There we go. Political powers. That's the word. You've got people groups and political powers all going to be gathered together. And we know for certain that when, when... the great judge comes to the earth, there's going to be a sifting. Sometimes it's a sifting that's uh, presented in the language of um, farming. I'm going to distinguish the wheat from the chaff or tares, yes. But then you can also have um, not just agriculture, but dealing with animals. I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. That is what I think the text means when it says God's going to show up as a witness. A covenant witness to assess who's been loyal and who hasn't been loyal. And everyone in the book is already recognizing, all, everyone who's hearing this have already recognized, I'm not bringing every, anything to the table. Those who he calls to seek the Lord are the humble, not the self-reliant. They're the humble, not the self-exalting. That's chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. They're not following their own way. They're following the just commands of God. These are people whose very lives are not exalting themselves. They're exalting the Lord because they don't have anything in themselves to bring. Those are the only ones who will be saved. The humble are not those who are bringing something to the table. They're they're those who recognize they can't bring anything to the table. And they need somehow the sacrifice to not come on the sinner, but to be poured down on the substitute. They're the ones who can be saved. And God will come as a covenant witness and assess, okay, who has drawn near? Remember when I got to chapter 3, verse 2. 
They don't listen to instruction. They don't accept correction. They don't trust in the Lord. They don't draw near. Draw near to God. And I said that drawing near it, the rest of the Old Testament is the image of bringing the substitute animal up to the priest. You draw near to the Lord through his provision of a substitute. And I think the covenant witness will come. And what this text is saying is God will gather all the people groups. He'll gather all the political powers together. And then he will stand as judge and separate the sheep from the goats. So, uh, a question I have is the word gather. Yeah. There are two times, at least, what we talk about this morning, maybe three, where the Lord will gather. But there's also the time in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where we are to gather the, the both of the, the righteous, if you will. Yep. Gather together. To gather. Yep. Is that the same word? It's not. It's a different word, and I think it's intentionally different in this book, so that the two groups are set apart. So the word in chapter 2, verse 1, is a word usually used for the gathering of straw from a field. You, you gather it and you bundle it. So the image is um, work around, actually gather yourself together in a big bundle, everyone together into a group to be together when the day of the Lord comes. God doesn't want people to be alone when they face the bigness of his person. When you actually encounter the living God, he doesn't want you standing alone. He wants you to be bundled with others. But then we see this word for gather. We see it in chapter 1, 2, and 3. We see it in verse 18. And in all those instances, there's a, a level of ambiguity but it's very clear that he's gathering them for an ultimate purpose of bringing punishment on the evil. But then in verse 18, we see an example. Chapter 3, verse 18 is the only other instance where we see the word gather. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. That's a very weird verse, and we'll get there. But that's a positive gathering. It's not a negative gathering, but I think it's the exact same gathering that's taking place here. And it, it actually, even though it's worded as a future in the ESV, it's actually something that's already happened. It, the, I would have translated, I have gathered those of you. And it's referring to the exact same event. This, this gathering of all people groups, all political powers together, God's going to work it. At times in other texts, the people are doing the gathering. They're gathering to Jerusalem. But this text says God's the big mover. He's the ultimate um, decisive influencer that's pushing people to Jerusalem, where he's going to make his final decision and separate the wheat from the chaff and the sheep from the goats. So gather, um, uh, where it's telling the people to gather in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it, 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 you, you describe that as coming together in a bundle, coming together for so you won't be alone kind of thing. That's a different concept than draw near, apparently. I mean, it is drawing near, but it's a completely different... The, in 2.1, the gathering is much more focused on a collective communal element. And um, so together, we're going to face 
the bigness of God when he shows up. And it doesn't have that explicit sense of um, draw near to the Lord. Okay, that's what I wanted that's, to That's not part of that gathered explicitly. We see that um, in the very next verse, or two verses later, when it's seek the Lord, all you humble the land. So the bundle, the group that are bundled, they're now moving. Um, is that a harvest uh, type of a picture there in two one? This is a harvest. This harvest. is this is a this is a um, oh in two one. It that is a harvest, but this in three eight is also harvest. Right, yeah. But but they're different words that are used, even though they look the same in English. I mean, we don't see that in our culture today because we have these big harvesters. Right, but. In, but the community the comes together. Grain by hand, the grain is all stacked up together like that. Is that that's right. Word picture? That that the grain is all stacked up. That's a two one chapter two verse one word picture. The, in chapter three verse eight, the word picture would be God is the great um, olive gatherer or the great grape gatherer. And he goes out and he's going to bring it all together. But part of the process of gathering grapes, I learned, is not simply collecting the good ones, but throwing out the bad ones. That's part of the purpose of the gathering. So here's, so I'm trying to think, okay, what would it mean? Wait for me because... Wait for the Lord because it's my decision to wipe out everything that's against me. And what's the logic of that? I think this is the logic. Persist in hope, people, because it is still, it is still my intention to punish evil. We're gearing up to move into Advent. This morning we heard, right out of Habakkuk chapter 1, How long, O Lord? Do I have to stand here and be surrounded by injustice? How long, O oh Lord, until you actually show up and, and show me that you care for my pain? How long does brokenness have to fill my home? Brokenness have to fill our society? How long, O oh God? And the hope of verse 8 is God saying, keep waiting. Because I haven't forgotten. Vengeance is still mine. And it is certain. Keep waiting. Because I haven't forgotten. That at the cross. I purchased. All that's needed. To justly give you a whole body. And not a broken one. Keep waiting. Because. My Jesus. Made a way. For there to be absolute reconciliation where there's no more tears, no more pain. It is coming. Don't doubt that I know how long, how hard it's been. I know, God says, wait for me because I still intend to bring an end to evil. That's what I'm understanding in verse 8 when it says, Therefore wait for me for, my, for the day when I rise up as witness. My, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour it upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, flowing from that deep-seated heart of jealousy. 
That's my decision. And because it's my decision, wait for me. Know that I, I haven't changed my mind. That's what he's saying. I haven't changed my mind. I know your pain. Keep holding on. To me, that's so hopeful. It's hopeful for when I face families in this church who are aching deeply because of the brokenness they're feeling. And I just, I just want to say to you, keep waiting for the Lord. Keep waiting for the Lord. Keep waiting for the Lord. I already said that a few weeks ago. But you're right. These, these two, the pillars are both holding up the book. And we can't get away from either one. The, the waiting on the Lord is being done together, isn't it? And if we separate ourselves, we're hurting ourselves. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. How do you reconcile that? That we have a God who can say, love me with all. With all. All your heart. All your being. All your substance. Love me with all. And if you don't, there's only one other option. Hell. He's a God who can command us to love Him with all. Who commands us to be perfectly surrendered, perfectly dependent. His, his, his benchmark is high. And in the fire of His jealousy for all the world's affections, in the fire of his jealousy for everyone who has turned away from him, turned from pursuing him perfectly to vain idols, everyone God will jealously punish. That's, that's what I think it's saying there. My decision is to gather nations, assemble kingdoms, to pour it upon them my indignation... All my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth will be consumed. The jealousy of our God. Is that, is that okay? For him to have that kind of a zeal, Paul? So God, what you're saying is that God, it's actually in our best interest to have this perspective on life. Flesh that out. Why is it best for us to have a mindset that says God needs to be at the center of my solar system. He's the sun in the center of my solar system. Not perfectly, but really. I want him there rather than me in the center of my solar system. Why is that better for, for us? So God's desire, God's desire that we would be as pure of a pot of silver to reflect his glory for eternity that his passion, that we would be as pure of a pot as possible, makes him put us in the fire today. 
And, and he wants us to say, to, to recognize there's a beauty that's coming. He's not against us in the flame. He's actually for us, burning away the dross. Because he has something beautiful set aside for the future. And he wants us to see that. There's no other creator, right? All the creation is his. We are his, and therefore he's rightfully jealous for what's his own. He alone is God. He alone is, is God. Therefore, his jealousy is right. And we've already seen his jealousy is loving. It's loving because in his presence is full joy for the longest amount of time, right? But it's also loving because where else can we go? You alone hold the words of eternal life. There is no Savior apart from Him. This book has made that clear. Don't cling to anyone, anything else. All the um, remnant of Baal is going to be thrown down. All the world's powers are going to be thrown down. Any idol that you're putting your hope in is going to be thrown down. Seek me together. Wait for me. Because I alone can save. This is loving jealousy. This isn't some kind of a, a passion for his own glory that is separated from his love. No, the two are going hand in hand, intimately interwoven. You can't separate them. He is rightfully jealous. He is lovingly jealous. Bethany, what do you want to add? The indescribable God of the universe has us as his bride. Should he, is it not righteous that he be jealous for us? Mm. In his indescribability that no word we have is enough to encompass him and we his bride, his love, the church. Isn't it right that he should be jealous when we give our attention to other loves? The whole when language of, of whoredom that, that the Bible uses to talk about God's people running from him to place their hopes, place to look for help, to seek safety, provision, protection in anything other than him. It it's, uses the language to try to capture our, our souls to recognize the vileness. This is a jealous husband longing for his bride. That's a great question. So how can we love anything other than God purely? And Augustine's response was, we love our God too little if we love anything other than God, not for God's sake. So what would that look like? That somehow as I, unless we recognize that we are first loved, and allow that love from God to fuel, to actually generate a, a love in us, we are not able to love others. So one way that we would love others or anything or person other than God, not for God's, uh, that we would love them for God's sake would be recognizing, right off baseline, recognizing that even the joy, the ability to delight, to find satisfaction, whether it's in Hot Fudge Sunday or, or sex or in sunsets, Recognizing that even those delights come from him, that all of a sudden allows that moment 
of pleasure to be praised. So recognizing this is a gift from God. This marriage is a gift from God that I have with Teresa. But then also thinking about how do I pursue this marriage? How do I pursue my delight in her in a way that doesn't make her an idol? I recognize that she's a gift from God to me, but also we are pursuing our relationship. We're pursuing our parenting. We're pursuing the marriage, the ministry that's flowing out of our home. We're pursuing all of that with a, trying to do it with a mindset that says, God, this is not about us, it's about you. We're trying to shape within our kids a global vision because this is not a world about them. It's a world about God and his purposes, what he's doing in our home, in our church, in our community, in our world. And so that's so loving, delighting in things um, with a mindful recognition that it comes from him and that somehow it's supposed to uh, even move up one octave to the point of praise. So this afternoon, I will most likely, if God keeps me alive and our electricity works, watch a football game with my boys. And I am working as a dad to try to figure out how to teach them how it's okay to pick someone up and slam their head into the ground for the glory of God. <laughs> if it's not okay, then football is not possible for Christians. But I think it is. And I think it's also possible to actually watch it for the glory of God. All the men just went, ah. And actually, I, I say the men, that was, that was a little biased. My wife taught me how to like football. I have to say that. She grew up in a football home, I didn't. And... Uh, she helped me understand. It's easier to explain depending on the color of the jerseys. <laughs> God is jealous, rightfully so, lovingly so, and I'll just add, necessarily so. If he stopped being jealous, he'd stop being God and all hope would stop. Not only that, existence would stop. Because right now... He is speaking. And because he's speaking, you and I are breathing. Everything being upheld by the word, spoken word of his power, right? And if he stops, we stop. Rightfully jealous. Necessarily jealous. Lovingly jealous. Now what's amazing is that in such a world we actually come to a verse 9. And we're going to pick up here next week. Got through one verse today. Oh, well, not next week. Two weeks from now. Thank you. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples that there's actually peoples who are going to call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. There's peoples still, even after the fires of God's jealousy pour out. And we're going to have to ask the question, and I encourage you to ask the question this week, when does verse 9 get fulfilled? 
When do, in the Greek translation, remember New Testament's in Greek, Old Testament translation, the word is that the tongue, the tongue will be purified so that everyone will call upon the name of the Lord. And then in a large group of unified people, they will be pursuing God together. Indeed, this group of ever-increasing collections, people from the far ends of the earth gathered together to meet the Lord from as far as Ethiopia, are worshiping the Lord in verse 9 and 10. Gathered to Jerusalem. When is this fulfilled? That's where we'll pick up next week. And the answer to that question helps us understand then better how, to, how we're to think about verse 8 and the fiery jealousy of God actually coming and burning, punishing evil. When is that fulfilled? Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi. Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at bcsmn.org. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at deroshi-meyer. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who rules, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.